We're in our 21st week in the book of Hebrews. We're wrapping up the book of Hebrews. We will be headed into the book of Luke later, but we've got a couple more weeks in Hebrews. And if you're a guest, you just need to know that you didn't walk in and we just randomly picked these verses today. It's, it's an ongoing journey. What we get at Safe Haven is where we ended the last week. We just picked back up the next week. And so it's by God's sovereignty that you're here. And I pray that the Lord speaks to you. Regulars, hey, it's been a great book, hasn't it? Hebrews has been, it's been our favorite book of all times until we go to Luke. And then that'll be our favorite book. But here's what the whole book has looked like to catch you up if you're a guest Chapters 1 through 11, the writer of Hebrews has been saying, hey, there's this upward knowing of who Christ is. And then out of upward knowing will always flow upward worship, which is where we got in chapter 12. And then out of that, if you have an upward knowing, a right doctrine of who Christ is, and then a right striving in worship, it will always produce outward living, Hebrews 13, which is the last chapter where we find ourselves in the journey. And so what he's been saying is this, don't bail, (laughs) Don't bail on the Christian journey. Um, And he ends with these practical blessings that the believer has. There's 13 of them that we're walking through in this last chapter. And these are all the 13. We we took the first three last week. Um, The first three was something like this. You have this blessing of brotherly love. Don't forget that. The Christian race is different. It's not every man for himself. But the Christian race is we carry one another. That's the difference. So don't bail on Christianity. You have that as your blessing. You have this blessing of hospitality. Uh, hospita- we didn't talk about this last week, but hospitality. Guess what word comes from hospitality? Hospital. So he says, as a believer, be walking, living, breathing hospitals. You have that. The world shuns one another. We hospital one another. And then this blessing to empathize or to suffer with those who literally mid-race are running and their shoes are, are beating them to death. And as believers, we can walk up and say, hey, let me take your shoes and put them on and I'll walk with you and you can have my good shoes. It's, it's empathy. So we kind of walk through those three things. And that's what he's been screaming for 20 weeks. His illustration, not mine, is you are running a race. Don't bail in that race. You have everything you need. Don't stop. And if you've ever run a race more than a 5K or a 5K, they've got A-frames along the way, right? You've made it to mile one. Jamie, how many of you ran? You made it to mile two. Go here. You've made it to mile three. Keep going. And that's what he's saying. There's these A-frames along the way that are pointing us. Keep going. Don't bail. So with that in mind, let's read today's text together as we hit part two of the blessings that the Lord has given us a whole lot of blessings as believers. Would you read today's text aloud? Then we'll pray, be seated, and then we'll study this text together. Read it aloud together with me. Hebrews 13, picking up back in verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among you, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Sounds a lot like not being shaken, doesn't it? Hey, let's pray together. So Lord, thanks again for this journey we've been on together. What a great time. 
And Lord, I know just reading that text aloud already has some people ready to run for the door. Christ, I pray that that's not the case, that every heart will be met with, yes, this is a great blessing the Lord has given us to continue to run and to strive and to run the race with endurance, to lay aside every weight that trips us up, to raise our drooping hands, to strengthen our weakening knees, to, to, to really labor after you. So, Lord, would you be gracious to do that? Let this, let this text, as awkward as some moments are going to be, God, let this text be an encouragement, a motivator for us to really live out the Christian life with the fullness of everything you've given us, to run the race through the world straight into the finish line of eternity. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Be seated. Well, the first three things that we went through last week, um, the blessing of brotherly love, the blessing of hospitality, the blessing of the ability to empathize or to sympathize with others in suffering, um, all of those are outward blessings that the writer is saying. I've given you these, the Lord has given you these outward things to carry on, to run the race, to, to, to run to the finish line, to, to enjoy life. These are outward things. These three things today are going to turn inward. And so not only is the Lord giving us these outward blessings, but these inward blessings to really, as believers, propel us on through the Christian life. And I guess I could say it this way, to continue that whole running theme, which again is, is not my theme, it's, it's not any of the teacher's themes, that, that's the writer's theme, it's this race, is he's given us three more A-frames that we're going to look at today. And the A-frames, I could go ahead and say them aloud, are this, they, they won't pop up on the screen yet, but the blessing of marriage and sex, the blessing of contentment, and the blessing of Christ's very real presence are three things he's given us to continue to foster a strong running of the race before us. I, I, I love my Lutheran brothers and sisters in their understanding of the table, particularly in the fact that they say the Lord's presence is truly and substantially with us at the table. I love that phraseology. Just that... that that tangible presence, he's really there. And what the writer is saying in Hebrews is it's not just at the table that the Lord is truly and substantially with us, but it really is every step of the way along the journey that the Lord has, has given us to walk, each as an individual. So how to finish well. Let's look at these three things. Number one, to finish well today, again, piling on from last week and adding some, and, and the Lord, uh, Lord willing, we'll continue on through the rest of the 13. Number one, to finish well Hold in honor the gift of marriage and sexuality. I, I love the fact that he, he added that. Now, now, I do want to say ahead of time, okay, maybe I, maybe I should say this as a preface. Um, when we went through the Song of Solomon as a church, um, a couple of things happened. Number one, our nursery exploded. We had all kind of babies in nine months after we went through Song of Solomon. But no, we always gave the, the, the caveat, and I want to do so today. I want to give the caveat of there's going to be some things that are a little bit uncomfortable in this moment. So if, 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 you, um, if, if, you, if you're uncomfortable with that, um, this is a good time to leave. I'll buy time for you. You can slip out. And I really do say that genuinely and honestly. You know, if, if, if there's... 
you know, some kids in here that you don't want them to hear, that's, you can leave. You can leave. I'll do a dance, buy some time, we can do some patty cake. Um, feel free to do that. But I think this is, it's a blessing that he hits on on purpose because already 2,000 years ago, marriage and sexuality was already being warped and it was ripping Christians to pieces. So lest we look at 2023 and go, well, now sexuality is ripping homes apart. This was, this was 2,000 years ago. There's nothing new under the sun in this area. And so he says, listen, this is a very real thing. And so I say what I say to you today with, with genuine sympathy and encouragement in mind. So I hope you receive that this way. But he says this, to finish well, you need to hold the gift of marriage and sexuality in uh, cherish it. Now there's, there's certainly two ways at looking at this topic and or teaching. Okay? One is negative. And a lot of people have heard the negative side all your life. Um, I, I certainly grew up with the negative slant of marriage and sexuality was basically, you know, turn the lights off, don't talk about it, and that's it. <laughs> that's, that's what it looked like. And anything other than that was this negative slant. It was just this, uh, this harsh thing. But there is a negative side, and we certainly could look at this text from a negative angle. And, and the negative side would be this, and the negative side is true being this, that any form of sexuality outside of biblical marriage will derail you. Any form outside. Now, I could list a ton of things there, but sure. What is a biblical marriage? Consensual marital sex, monogamous marital sex, heterosexual marital sex, and covenantal marital sex is what God designed. Anything outside of that will derail you. And, and so it's not a... He doesn't throw this out there to say, hey, I'm, I'm ho-hum, humdrum, you know, I, I want to rob you of joy. That's not his point. He says, no, I want you to finish the race well. I want you to run the race well. And we believe biblically that these are the parameters. Anything within that is a beautiful thing. It's not a negative thing. But so often it is, it's, it is it's spun to be... Even, even dark within Christianity. And he says, no, 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 it's not dark at all. Now, there are these parameters. Be careful. Don't be derailed outside of those bounds. Consensual, monogamous, heterosexual, covenantal, an act of worship. An act of worship. Like, I know you're already uncomfortable. It's going to get way more uncomfortable. So, hey, let me just tell you a story that's going to be more uncomfortable. Me and Julie Beth had one of the elders at the summit... Um, one time come up to us and we were, talk, we were talking about these things right here and he said, um, Troy and Julie, he said, have you guys made it to the point where you can pray aloud while you're having sex? Like you're real uncomfortable now, aren't you? Right? And, and I was like, Jerry, I don't want to talk about this. I, you know, as a matter of fact, here's my resignation papers. I'm out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to be a part. But his heart, his heart was, hey, it can be worship. Have you, have you even considered this as an act of worship? Right? And so there is this, this beautiful thing. But he's saying, hey, listen, don't let anything out of sexuality that is worship derail you. And anything outside, and again, I could list a list, and I'm not going to do that. I gave you the parameters of biblical marriage. Anything outside of that, he says, is, according to the verse, dishonorable, 
It will lead you away from the race that the Lord has given you to run in honor. It will lead you outside of that. Number two is defiling. That's the word he gives. It will actually stain you. Anything outside of this will stain you. It will ruin life abundant. You think it will bring you joy and it brings you temporary pleasure, but it will defile you. It will it'll, it'll warp that race. And then number three, he says, it's, it's judge worthy. In other words, God will not devalue his holiness in marriage and sexuality. He will never devalue that. This is the standard he has. And so the illustration again is we're running through a world to try to get to eternity. And the world that we're running through mocks everything that we believe the Bible says about marriage and sexuality. And they'll try to derail you. And I, I made this joke the other day, and I'm telling you, listen, y'all know me, okay? It's a funny show. It is funny. Ted Lasso is funny, okay? But four episodes in, we had to quit. Me and Julie Beth had to shut it down because of that very issue. The whole show is mocking sexuality. It, it, it's, it's with whoever you want, whenever you want, and I'm telling you, it's not in a bad way. It's not in a Luciferian way. That's the, that's the niche of this show. It's not, it's not that. It's funny. It is a funny thing. And when you're laughing, oh, that is, that's funny, funny. And then the whole time, it's, it's trying to get us sucked into what? The world so that we'll stop running the race. Because Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll do whatever it takes, and he'll hit you at the thing that is so cherished in our world above all else that will go, this is my pleasure, and nobody can tell me to do what, I, what to do with my pleasure. He'll hit us right there. He says, be careful with that. And so in this, that's the negative side. Now let me give you the positive side. The flip side of this is the writer is saying... If we're going to run the race, we don't need to bury our head in the sand. We as Christians need to raise the bar and celebrate sexuality. We need to celebrate sex and marriage. And we need, he says that, look, let it be held. Did you notice how he starts? Let it be held in what? Say it loud. Like you're like right now, he's like talking about sex. I can't say honor. <laughs> Right? Because then people think I'm a creep and, you know, whatever. But notice what he says. He says, let it be held in honor. He's not saying duck your head down. He's saying raise the bar, man. Celebrate what this is if you want to run the race well. The marriage and the marriage bed is honorable. Sex is holy. Sex is glorious. Sex is pure. Sex is wonderful. Sex is is a gift. It's a gift. And I know nobody right now wants to go, amen. Because <laughs> you'd be like, he's a creep. You know, she's a creep. Whatever. It's wonderful. I'm going to put all this in the, in the context biblically here. But also in our cultural context. At most marriages, or a lot of marriages, they, they have the, um, somebody help me out, it's not a tea party. It, where they, where, where you have a shower, a shower, yes, a wedding shower, <laughs> a wedding tea party. We all have crumpets and tea. Right? It's the greatest wedding ever. Uh, it would actually save money. Oh, 
But not, you, they have the, the showers, have the showers. Everybody comes together. And, and so uh, the bride is here, and somebody comes in, and, you know, and they, they give the gift, and they do the opening of the gift. And it's like, oh, it's Crock-Pot. Woo, it's Crock-Pot. Yeah. And then you open it again, and it's another Crock-Pot, right? <laughs> and uh, then you get the platter, and then you get the butter dish, and then you get the, the knives and the forks and the sheets and the, all this kind of stuff. And you get all these things. And, and the shower's awesome. I mean, I hear they're great. I tell you this, the little pedophore cakes, they are awesome. Men should be invited just to wipe those out, right? But it's, it's awesome. And here, here's what he's saying. He said, listen, you're running through a race and the world's trying to trap you down and they're trying to trap you down with, hey, celebrate it in anything other than what the scripture says. And and he says, to combat that, I want you to celebrate even more than that with what the Bible says. And here's what the Bible says, is that the shower is going on and, and people are giving you gifts and God walks in himself and says, I got the gift of all gifts. Here is sex. Boom. Take your crock pot and trash it in the dump. I gave you that. He says, celebrate it. Let it be held in honor. Don't be shy about it. Rejoice in it. It's a good gift. It's God's gift. Thank God he didn't give us a can opener. (laughs) Right? What am I going to do with this? He gives us that gift. When we see it like that, when we rejoice in marriage and sexuality like that, we run the race right through the world going, he's given me this, but not to be spent how I want, but to be spent for his glory, which is what the elder was trying to say. I was just too dumb to hear it. And awkward. But he's right. He's right. And so... I realize you might be a little bit uncomfortable now, but I genuinely do hope you see two things. Number one, there's some of you probably in this room going, man, I failed in that area. I failed in that area. And I want want to speak to you in that vein as a pastor, as a shepherd. His grace is sufficient for you. If you failed in that area, His grace is sufficient for you. If you've taken it outside the bounds of biblical marriage, Christ's grace can cleanse you today. And if you have repented of your sin, He has cleansed you. It's done. Don't let the devil keep bringing it back up. But number two, His grace won't let you stay where you are. If you're struggling in this area of and, and playing the grace card over and over. I know, I know, I know. Grace, 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 grace. You got a warped understanding of grace. It'll cleanse you to the uttermost. To where he says, I don't even know what you're talking about. But in his grace, he'll also say, I'm not going to leave you there. I'm not going to leave you there. Strive after my holiness. Come in line with the biblical commands of what he's given with the biblical parameters of sexuality and marriage. So I want to say that number one, if you failed in that area. And then number two, if you've been brainwashed with, well, there's just some things, Troy, we don't talk about. And this is one of them, right? If, if that's you. Well, then I'm not going to talk about it anymore. But I am going to read Proverbs 5. <laughs> and hope that you see the wonderful guidelines that God gives us in sexuality. 
to. Lest you think I thought. You thought that I made you uncomfortable. Here we, let's read this. Proverbs 5.15. Drink water from your own cistern. And brother, he ain't talking about Aquafina. <laughs> Flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad? Streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, drunk always in her love. And God's people said, it's, it's, the, it's the text, man. This is the holy text. He doesn't shy away and say, oh, we don't talk about this. He says, it's a glorious thing. I'm going to give you commentary on that last verse. That last verse, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in your love. Two, two notes of commentary. And I know some of you are like, I wish you wouldn't. Well, I'm going to. <laughs> This, this phrase, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. We're, we're men and women here. We're not going to shy away from it. This is, this is God's text, okay? In the words of Alistair Begg, you can't delight in what you never see. And there's this call. In the home, marriage couples, you have freedom. If you've been brainwashed with Shut the lights off. Be careful. You can't delight in what you never see. It's a beautiful thing. And then also I'm going to give a warning, particularly to the men, but in our culture, the pendulum is swinging big time. And it's it's percentage of male and females with digital media. I will say this. You'll never delight in what you see in front of you if your mind is warped and skewed and you're flooding your mind with digital imitations or digital substitutes. If your brain is being flooded with what you see on TV and, and watching what you know, then what's in front of you will never bring delight to you. Get that garbage out. Get it out. Be careful. And so that's commentary number one. And then commentary number two. Be intoxicated always in her love. Trey and Leah Morgan say it this way, and they do marriage seminars. And I'll leave you this quote. I wish I would have put it on the screen, but then we'll go on. They say this. Satan, catch this. Satan likes a marriage without sex just as much as he likes sex outside of marriage. That's good right there. Satan likes a marriage without sex just as much as he likes sex outside of marriage. This will help you run the race. Fix your eyes here. And so uh, there is a point, I do want to admit this, there's also a point in marriage, because I always want to speak to the whole. There's a point in marriage that one does achieve where oneness in partnership trumps sexuality. There's a point that marriages reach that. Now, I'll say this, the vast majority in our church have not arrived at that stage just yet. Some have. This is the point where I'm going to bring them forward, let them stand on stage. I'm like, well, if that's you, then come on up and tell us the rest. Now, I, I, we need to admit that. Okay. 
There is that. There is a more satisfying partnership and oneness that you come to understand in gospel marriage that trumps sexuality. And, and, and that's a glorious thing. It's a glorious thing. And I'm told it's the closest form of love those individuals have ever known. Only the gospel can do that. Only the gospel. So that's number one. To finish well, let's hold in honor the gift of marriage and sexuality. Run the race, not what the world is saying, not what Ted Lasso imitates. Run the race. And then number two, to finish well, be content with what you have. I don't think it's odd that he sticks those two together. Be content with what you have. Um, And it should be no shock to us that discontentment will derail you in the Christian race as well. The race that God has set before you. Contentment, in a nutshell, has everything to do with what do you have your eyes fixed upon? That's the root of contentment and or discontentment. What, what are your eyes fixed on? And so the illustration, again, is that we're running a race. And he says, as you're running a race, if you want to finish well, you better not stargaze. Because if you're stargazing while you're running the race... That'll be a quick way to get a busted knee and a busted lip and perhaps even disqualified from the race. Right? So don't stargaze. As we're running this race, be content. Fix your eyes on what you have. And he gives two illustrations of stargazing. Number one, stargazing, he says, can be the love of money. To be clear, money is not the issue that will derail you. It's the love of money. Okay? So he says it's not, it's not money, but the love of money. And if love of money is the root of all evil, then we can be assured that the love of stuff will feed the root of the love of money. I don't love money. I just love Mastercrafts, right? Well, to get the Mastercraft, you've got to have the money, which feeds the root of the love of money. So it's all tied together. He says, stargazing number one, what will trip you up on this race is if we're stargazing, i got to have this, i got to have that, i got to have this, i got to have that. And then all of a sudden, boom, we fall flat on our face. That's number one. And then stargazing number two is what I just illustrated. It's the discontentment with stuff. That's what he says in the text. So to be clear, what we have is not the issue. The issue is what? What we don't have. That's what he says in the text. Keep your life free from the love of me and be content with what you have. Implication. Don't be enamored by what you don't have. That house, that car, and yes, that boat. All of those things. Contextually, to tie it all together, the love of money and discontentment divert your eyes from the chief possession. Christ. We're running the race. Keep your eyes fixed there. If our eyes are fixed there, then we won't be prone to go, we've got well, to have that. And what happens when we've got to have that is what we do is we try to grab Jesus and we try to drag him over here with it, right? God, I know that you, you're the one that wants me to have 4,000 square feet. Because let's be honest, 1,500, not enough. God, you gave me the three kids. i got to stick them in their own private penthouses. And we go, Jesus, you gave me them kids, so I'm bringing you over here, and we try to wed the two together. It's not a discontentment with what we have. It's what we don't have. i got to have that. He says, that will derail you. i say three things about that. Number one, contentment, have you ever thought about this? It's a spiritual gift. 
The fact that any of us could ever be content in life is an exclusive Christian blessing. Because the world is never content. And the world will never be content. It's an exclusive Christian blessing to find truth and contentment. And that's the writer's point. Number two, it is possible to have ambition and maintain contentment. Let's be clear about that. Because I know when we read this, somebody goes, well, well, why am I working hard? Why am I... Can I have ambition and maintain contentment? I don't think those two are mutually exclusive. I think you can have those things. Right? So let's talk about that. Discontentment says this. I've got to have this, and I don't care what it takes to get it. That is idolatry. I've got to have. You know, it, this will satisfy me. Got to have it. This will satisfy me. That's idolatry. And let me give you some telltale signs that you've moved into discontentment. And I know, I told you, I, I told you ahead of time it's going to be a little uncomfortable today, but we all got on our big boy panties and pants, right? Big, big girl panties, okay. All right. I get awkward <laughs> sometimes. Right. Leave me alone. All right. But here's some telltale signs of discontentment. When I have to remove biblical stewardship... And yes, I'm talking about tithing. When I have to remove that to get what I want, you've moved into discontentment. Me and Julie Beth could have a Mastercraft tomorrow if we quit tithing. And a truck to pull it with. When we go, i got to have that, so I'll remove what the Bible says about standards of biblical stewardship. To get that, you've moved into this is now an idol. That's a telltale sign. And we've got to be okay with hearing that if we're going to teach the Scriptures. This is what the Bible says. Another telltale sign of discontentment. Your family dynamics. If one person always wants this and the other person's like, well, I don't know if that's what we want to do. And what you want begins to ruffle feathers within the family, you've probably moved into discontentment. You just want stuff. If we're not on board together in oneness, then something's tearing against that oneness, and the Lord's never going to tear us against oneness. You've moved into something other than worship through stuff. It's become discontentment. Another telltale sign is the overall use of downtime is a telltale sign of discontentment. When you have time to to rest or, or to sit down, it's what you feed your mind with. Amazon? I got downtime to meet with you, Lord, but, but I really need to look on Amazon. You've probably moved into discontentment. Or this, auto trader, but that car, that boat, that motorcycle, that, there's my, Lord, I don't have, I, and, then, and then we pawn it off and, and we say things like this. Lord, I don't have time to meet with another couple and just love them well or another single person and love them well in the gospel. I don't have time. And the Lord says, well, just exchange the time that you're perusing social media to buy stuff and insert, let's spend time with other people to gospel them. Yeah. Realtor.com. And look, I know, I know, we've got so many realtors in this church. 
Right, y'all are so mad at me right now. No, you're, I, I hope you get it. I'm, I'm not. I'm not anti-house. You know what? We got one. We have one. We have one. I want to make it bigger. I want to put a back porch on it. Julie Beth wants to hang lights between the trees for the love of all that is holy. Do not somebody do not come out here and hang lights between our trees. That's going to create strife. She wants that so bad. I like stuff. That's not the point. If you're hearing me say that stuff is evil in and of itself, you're missing the point. But when we don't have time to invest in the gospel because we always got to have that thing, this thing, that thing, that neighborhood, this, we've missed the point. We've moved into discontentment. And he says, that will derail you. Why? Because what I just said, we no longer have our eyes fixed on Christ. We have our eyes fixed on that thing. That will rot and decay and go in a landfill. The most beautiful house built today, the most beautiful one built today, in a hundred years, will probably be demolished and ugly and tainted for a bigger, better one. That's discontentment. Ambition says, hey, I want to leverage my talents to work and create with every fiber of being that I have. I want to go after it. I want to make a difference. I want to do... God has given me these talents, these abilities, and I want to use them for His glory. I want, I want to achieve. And here's the thing. If that's your heart's desire to go and to strive and to achieve and all that kind of stuff, it probably will be rewarded with what? Money. It's not evil in and of itself. Ambition can coexist. Contentment says this. I genuinely don't care if my striving pays off big dividends in the end. I'm blessed beyond measure as is. But I don't want to waste my life. And I want to honor God with my doing and working and striving and achieving. And yes, climbing the ladder. I want to honor the Lord with that. Those are not mutually exclusive. If if you got lost in all of that, Troy... What are you talking about? Well, here's some pictures. Here we go. <laughs> this, I, I think these pictures are awesome. I did not come up with them all on. I think they're wonderful. Contentment is, hey, here's what I've got, Lord. Thank you. It's, it's a gift. It's a blessing. Discontentment is, but I don't have that. And that will bring a smile to my face. That will make my family happy. That will make my wife satisfied. That will make my husband satisfied. That will make our kids satisfied. That will bring us peace. Anything outside of that is where you start falling into discontentment. Or this picture here to show the positive side. Contentment is, thank you, Lord, for what I got. It's a gift, and I don't deserve any of it. Thank you. And ambition is, and also... Thank you for my talents and abilities. And I'm going to strive. I'm going to be the best doctor. I'm going to be the best teacher. I'm going to be the best lawyer. I'm going to be the best. And I'm going to grow. And I'm going to serve you with everything that I have. And you know what, Lord? If that comes with no further monetary blessing, so be it. I just want to honor you. That's ambition. And I would argue that is worship. And the Lord goes, yes. Well done. Strive. Labor. Go for it. Be ambitious. Those two fit together. And in doing so... We will run the race. And so, a couple of questions and we'll move on and wrap it up. 
Is money your source of joy and happiness? Is money your source of joy and happiness? If it is, you've probably fallen victim to the love of money. Is money your source of security? If I don't have have X, then I, I will never be secure. Then you've probably fallen victim to the love of money. Is money dictating the way that you spend your time and energy and effort beyond normal hours? And we all know what I'm talking about. 40 hours, 50 hour work weeks are kind of a norm, right? But even the Supreme Court just had a ruling to where the, the, you have to prove that Sundays are mandatory work hours. Somebody, y'all, y'all have read this, right? We have to, they have to prove that. Even, even the world is saying, hey, we might work too much. Beyond normal work hours, is it, I gotta, I, if you're willing to give your family away so that you can get overtime, you probably don't love your family. You probably love your money. He said, be careful. Careful about this. And then finally, number four. If Christ was physically with you in your decision making, would you bemoan to him what you have? I'm dead serious. I'm asking that genuinely. This is not a Jesus juke. If you were walking through the world hand in hand with Jesus physically, would you go, hey... This car that I have that runs great, has air conditioning, it might have a few fries on the floor, but Lord, I just, I gotta have a newer one. Would you bemoan what you had if you're walking hand in hand with Jesus right here beside you? Would you? Anybody, anybody. I had to answer this question when I was thinking through it. Like nobody's answering my question right now. Would you bemoan it? Would you bring him into your home I mean, we grew up in an 800-square-foot house, literally 800 square feet, okay? And we used to sit on washers and dryers over the table, the kitchen table. That's a whole other story for another day. And we laughed, and we joked, and, and all this kind of stuff. Even in that little tiny house, if Jesus was sitting there in the room, do you think any of us would go, Jesus, this 800 square feet, it's a joke. Are you kidding me? This washer and dryer that we have to sit on that washes our clothes for us because we're too lazy to wash it by our hand, it's not good enough. Would we bemoan what we had if Jesus was right there with us? Would we? You say, Troy, that's a, that's, that's a Jesus Jew. That's what he says. Let's read the next verse. The next verse is this. To finish well, focus on who you have in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The writer is after our overall hearts and not just for us to be good Christian boys and girls. He says, run the race, the blessing of marriage and sex. Run the race with the blessing of be content with what you got. Why? Be content with what you have because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'm with you. He is with you right now. That illustration was not an illustration, guys. That illustration is reality. If you claim to be a believer, he is with you, sitting with you right now in your seat. How dare we bemoan him, the sovereign God of the universe? 
I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So we can say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. I will not be shaken. What can man or stuff do to me? Nothing. Nothing. So the writer wants us to echo with Paul in Philippians 4. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is the context of this verse. Not a football game. Not a tennis match. Not powerlifting. Not anything else you want to tattoo it on your arm for. He says, if you don't have anything, then you can walk through life because Christ is with you. That's the point. He's running alongside us in every decision. When it's painful in life, he's right there beside you. When it's a downhill sprint and everything's going great, he's right beside you. And where you sit right now, he's right beside you. Even in discontentments, he's right there beside you. Have you ever thought about discontentments as a means to worship? Let's spin it real quick. Because right now, I just saw some of you. We're like, eh. Discontentments can be a means that lead us to worship. And I think that's the point of discontentments. Biblically, look at them. I'm not satisfied with my house. Like I really do. I'd love to have a patio on the back. I'd love to have a big patio. I would invite you over to that patio, and we would grill steaks and shrimp and all kinds of things on the patio. Okay, I'm for those things. But when I'm discontent with my house, the gospel changes it to where he whispers, the reason you're discontent with your house, Troy, is because you're longing for heaven. And earth will never provide that. So even in your discontentment, let your discontentment point you to what is to come. Let it point you there. Let your discontentment guide you there. I'm not satisfied with my body, and I'm not satisfied with my body. I want, I want hair. <laughs> I, want, I want flowing golden locks of hair. Right? Do not bring me a wig. But when I'm not satisfied with my body, he whispers in the gospel, it's because you're longing for a glorious resurrection body that only I can provide. Let your discontentment point you to what I provide. When I'm not satisfied with people, he whispers this, you're not satisfied with people because they're sinners. And I alone can provide an eternal community that is perfect and blameless. Look to me in your discontentment of what I provide. I'm not satisfied with life a lot of times. And honestly, I'm just bored. And here's what he whispers. It's because you're longing for meaning and purpose and glory that this world cannot provide. It's only through me that you'll ever be not bored. Which is what eternity will be. All of our discontentments can point us to Christ if we fix our eyes on him. As the band comes up. There's no doubt, church, that he has poured more earthly blessings on us than we could have ever dreamed or imagined. Amen? My goodness. We live in America 
for the love of all that is holy. And I say that contextually in the right way. Nobody in here. Shoot. Not a soul in here walked to this place or rode in a buggy and carriage and or horse. If you rode on a horse over here, please let me know. Raise your hand. Number one, I want to pet your horse. (laughs) Anybody. You, you, You drove here. You're all wearing awesome clothes. You probably ate something on the way here. If you didn't, you're probably headed to Arby's right after or Frida's where you're going to sit down and blow more money. We're we're so blessed, church. We're so blessed. And all of those blessings, according to the text, are just to point us to the ultimate blessing. Christ himself. Let these challenges and motivations propel you to fix your eyes on Jesus who gives you life forevermore and life right now very abundant. Let's pray. God, thanks for this text. And again, I want, I want to pray where we started. Because I know, there's no doubt in my mind. There's some people here that are so mad right now. How dare the church talk about that? God, I, God, I pray we have honored your word. God, I pray we've not come to gather to tickle ears. I pray we've held your text up and we've looked at it like a bee hovering around a flower. And where it needed to punch us in the face, Lord, I pray it punched us in the face. And where it needed to tenderly hug on our hearts, I pray that it hugged on our hearts. But more importantly than anything else, I pray that Jesus was exalted. And that because of this text, we were charged with running straight through the world with our eyes gazed on Jesus, using even the blessings that we have to push us still more towards the cross.